0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, welcome. Good morning. It's great to see you all. Man, it's great to uh, be able to worship together, isn't it? Man, what a, what a special time this morning. Uh, welcome, Pastor Ryan and Michelle. It's great to have you guys here with us if you haven't seen them this morning. Always good to have them back. Man, so make sure you grab them and hug their neck and all that good stuff before they get out of here. Um, I've got some guests with me. This is kind of odd. Two weeks in a row. Um, I, I told somebody I'll do anything to get out of preaching evidently. So, um, amen. So Ryan knows that's the truth. Um, but, uh, got my, some friends up here today to share and, and I'll probably be the one that speaks the least, but let me just quickly introduce in case everybody doesn't know who's got the stopwatch. That's right. Down here on the end, you guys know uh, Steve Rogers. He's been part of our speaking team for a while now, and he's a great asset to our church. love him. We know Pastor Amy. She's around. Now, the new face next to me, you may not know her, but this is Keegan Flaherty, and she is the uh, campus minister for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Drake, and she's been a part of Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Great. Um, She's been around Ashworth for several A year yet, maybe? I don't know.
1: More than that. I don't Has it?
0: I don't know. Time flies when you're having fun. But she's a part of our message community team, so she comes in and our discussions on Monday, which is fun and exciting. And so as we've been in this series where we are uh, talking about asking for a friend, the new questions for a new generation, today we're just going to kind of wrap this up. We're just going to kind of bring it to a close. And um, because we've talked about a lot of serious and, and powerful and uh, interesting questions that we think. Okay, those that aren't following Jesus, and those that maybe were following Jesus and aren't right now. What are the questions they're asking? And this has been the series to kind of dive right into those and see what we can do to answer them. So I'm just going to throw this out to the to the to the panel first, and just kind of say, guys, what have you? What has stuck out to you about this series? What has been meaningful, or what has been powerful, or what you know? Yeah, what stuck out to you as we've gone through the series? Well, one of the things that came
2: crashing into my brain as we did this, is why are people asking these questions? Mm. What's what's going on in the heart and mind of the world today that uh, has them pondering these very issues that we've wrestled with? It seems like they've they've moved on from the old theological debates (laughs) to some of the more current and pressing matters in their lives. How does Jesus fit into this?
0: Yeah. It's less about Calvinism anymore <laughs> and more about reality, authenticity, yeah. living what we say yeah. is true to us.
3: I mean, I I have shared about this like some of the questions that we've been delving into with some of my friends who don't go to Ashworth and they're like, "What? You guys are talking about that?" Like on a Sunday morning in front of your people, you know. And so I think I have loved um, just the freedom to kind of air our dirty laundry as Christians. Uh, I think the way you grow, the way we grow, um, is by talking about the ways that we have been gravely wrong, um, the ways that we have either participated in abuse or colonialism or violence or whatever, whether it's you know, overt or, you know, implicit. Like, if, if it's, there's there's a way that we have to do reflection. And I think that that's part of what's happened in this series is we're answering questions, but it's caused us to reflect as a church and as a staff. I mean, on Monday, message communities have been, like, weighty. It's like you leave, and I'm like, oh, okay, is it, can we still follow Jesus, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, we can. It's worth it, but... There's a lot of weight to this, and I love that we've, we're have we airing it and talking about it and growing through it.
0: Well, I think even, Keegan, you shared one week, you, you were like, can we have some hope? Yeah. <laughs> can we talk yeah. about something that makes us feel better? Because some of these are weighty issues. But what yeah. stands out to you, Keegan?
1: Yeah, I think there's really two moments in this series that have been impactful for me, and the first was our conversation on heresy. I don't know that that is something... I'd really considered a lot. It's like a word that had no meaning for me in some ways because it's used so often and so I really appreciated the Jesus minus mm. Jesus plus framework mm. the simplicity of it and the ways to find common ground through that was really helpful and I also think just last week with the storytelling was so beautiful mm. and a gift actually to receive those stories yeah. and And uh, maybe a way to think of it deeper, too, I think the Western church is often obsessed with objectivity and like it's this, 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 and this. So to hear like God's truth come through storytelling and personal experiences uh, was really impactful. And it's people that we can ask about it, you know. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And talking about the American church, we the American church doesn't seem to do well with nuance. Mm -hmm. We do want black and white categories because that's easy. Mm That's the easy place we can stick things. But man, the more we live, the more we understand the nuance that exists in the world around us. I've shared before, my mother told me at one point, she said, my prayer for you is that you can see the world in less black and white terms all the time. And you know um, that's significant you know, because I, my personality, how I'm shaped and formed is very black and white and nuance is incredibly uncomfortable. And I've told these guys, this series has been nothing but uncomfortable for me the whole time. I'd rather just, let you, here's, here it is. But, but I think we're all talking about what we see outside this room on Sunday is the world. It's the rest of the world. And we're talking about how do we engage those people. And, um, you know, I think we just talked about even church attendance, church, how people engage with the church. Something very interesting is happening. Right, Steve?
2: <laughs> it is. And, you know, it. Church attendance is way down nationally. Um, It's been a very weird time. Uh, The name Christian has uh, been called into real question in our culture of late. And uh, I got got to asking myself, well, what's the problem here? Is it just the devil's just taken over? (laughs) You know, the devil made us do it, right? Or is it something we're doing? Mm that is confusing what Christ is trying to do in our own personal lives and in the world around us. And I think that's a big question that we need to wrestle through.
0: And what's interesting is we could easily look and say, well, COVID was the problem. COVID caused this, but I was on Twitter this week and there's a guy I follow, his name, Ryan Burge. And he's kind of a a statistician, looks looks at numbers and all this stuff. And I throw a chart up here. But his tweet was basically looking at the current trend in the church. And he said that between 2008 and 2020, the the, the line was going down anyway, that COVID did not cause this. This was already happening in the church anyway. And if you look over on the far right, you'll see that one black dot. So the red line is a trend line of attendance. And then on the far right is that little black dot way below the trend line. That's 2021. And what does that show us is that we have even the the culture has shifted even away from what the trends were doing. It has dropped off dramatically. And so what that tells us is that you know um, there's something going on between the relationship between the church and the people outside the church. Um, We we have had a bad reputation. We have been called into question on many things. In fact, Keegan, you and I talked this week about the He Gets Us campaign. I mean. What's going on that we need an entire campaign to try to?
3: Twenty million dollars spent.
0: Twenty yeah. million dollars spent to try to make people. You had some opinions about that, didn't you? Oh,
3: yeah,
1: I did. <laughs> uh, I think.
3: Wait, did you all see the "He Gets Us" ad during the Super Bowl? Yeah. Okay, just curious.
1: Yeah, I think it's been really interesting to actually have some of my non-Christian friends ask about it, or mm. even. When I was looking it up, CNN covered it, right? This is a 30-second ad that is really catching a lot of attention. And pretty unanimously, people are saying or asking, is that really how Jesus would spend $20 million is to do like a rebranding campaign, essentially? And I don't want to bash it too much because I think there is like a good and genuine desire to want to represent Jesus well. But as I was thinking about a scripture example, I was thinking about the story of Zacchaeus, Mm. this wealthy tax collector who, upon meeting Jesus, gives half his possessions to the poor, says if he's done any wrong, he'll give back four times the amount. I'm like, oh, that's the best way to represent Jesus, (laughs) actually. That feels more noteworthy, more kind of would right. capture people's yeah. attentions. So yeah, I think that that was sticky
3: for some And I, I'm like, Jesus didn't need a PR campaign. <laughs> Jesus' followers need a PR campaign. <laughs> so that he gets us, it really, like, I would have been up for doing $20 million, rebranding followers of Jesus, and just doing a campaign that's like, we're sorry, you know? Um, we did that a few years ago at Ashworth, Then we? Like, you've been lied to and we're sorry about it. Yeah. Um, And I think that's, you know, we're going to talk about sharing our, our faith and how do we do that with our friends. And I think that's a lot of what I have felt is like I have to defend Jesus. No, I don't have to defend Jesus. Jesus speaks for himself, and he doesn't need a PR campaign. I mean, he had 12 guys, and they spread the gospel, you know, all around the world. We Christians have screwed that up. You know, I'm like, we are the ones that needed a PR campaign. Yeah.
0: And really the problem is, and I don't think, is that we've screwed it up. Because if you look at the disciples, they screwed it up too. Yeah, yeah I mean, The, the question fine. is, how do we respond? No shame. There's no, no the shame. the question Me is, too. how do we respond to the screw up, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. And it seems like, in a lot of ways, we want to double down on our screw up and be defensive and justify our behavior as opposed to owning it calling out inappropriate behavior when it needs to be called out. I mean, just kind of sitting in the moment with the questions honestly seems to be a real challenge for us, don't you think?
2: Well, yeah, we want to argue the faith. Mm -hmm. We want to convince everyone else why they're wrong and we're right rather than do what Jesus did when he was accused. He kept silent. Mm -hmm. He didn't defend himself. He demonstrated something about God that we still struggle with. There's something in us that we want to hit back. We want to we defend ourselves. We want to take control. We want to dominate the conversation. But the spirit of Christ is so much different than that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost as if we don't think Jesus can stand on his own or the holy spirit is not powerful enough to do what the okay. holy spirit can no. do and so we feel compelled com- compelled to kind of force things and i think part of part of what's driven that is just even the the structures that sometimes we've built into church the things the metrics that we've used to say this is what's important you know, so when when you know it's uh, in preacher talk, it's the three Bs butts, buildings, and budgets. You know, are the three <laughs> Bs that are so significant. And when those things are everything, you're doing is hinging on your success, God smiling on you, which is not true, but you get in that mentality. And so that's what begins to push. And so if I've got to fill this room every week, then that that really changes my motivation. As opposed to saying, let Jesus stand on his own. Let the Holy Spirit draw people in. I don't have to convince anybody of their sin. The Holy Spirit will do that.
2: He will. He will. You know, I was uh, thinking just this morning that I was trained up in a Christianity that said that I am joining a sales force.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that my mission is, is to sell Jesus to the world. And I even got special training spent hundreds of dollars to go to special training (laughs) to learn how to sell Jesus. Knock on doors, ask the right questions, close the deal, compel a decision on the spot. Don't let them walk away and think about it because then they won't buy. You gotta get them to push that button right now. Write the check now. That's sales (laughs) mentality. That is so not. What Jesus
0: taught us. Well, even when you look at Jesus and how he interacted with his disciples, you know, um, I've talked about the Chosen series. If you haven't watched it, I do recommend it. It is beautiful. It really humanizes and brings Jesus, yeah, brings a third dimension to Jesus. Um, But, you know, when you think about what Jesus did, he found these individuals and he says, Follow me. And they're like, Okay. And they did for three years, and in over that three-year period, he taught them, he modeled for them, he demonstrated everything that they wouldn't understand, the compassion, interactions with Samaritans, they don't get that, that's not, you know, those were the enemies, interacting with Gentiles, the dogs, as Jews called them, you know, and we would look at that, and we'd say, well, that's the training we need, and yet, when you look at the disciples, even after spending three years with Jesus himself, in the end, they all scattered and ran. Mm-hmm. I mean, so Jesus was an absolute failure in closing the deal mm-hmm. at that moment. And really, it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost that things really solidified. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that the power came and then they step out. And, and even then you find that it wasn't perfection. It was authenticity. It was realness in following Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Authenticity. So Keegan, you had mentioned uh, in our conversation Monday, like you did a survey at mm-hmm. Drake. What what was that about? What were you looking for in that?
1: So at the beginning of the semester, I essentially handed out a survey to our group to just see what are the key topics they want to talk about. Uh, we call it community nights, our weekly gathering. And it's anything from like dating, to what is prayer, to how to build community. And one of the most like eager to talk about was how to have conversations with non-Christians, how to have spiritual conversations, which was kind of shocking to me because I think college students or that generation often uh, get branded as not wanting to do evangelism, which I think is far from true. I just think it looks vastly different. Um, In our group, it's always an invitation to community first, uh, which is the only way then you can lead to spiritual conversations as they think about their friends or people that they want to share Jesus with, they're talking to people who have experienced real trauma in the church or from people who were supposed to represent Jesus. So to enter into those conversations just really boldly with this sales pitch mm-hmm. just ends any hope of further conversation <laughs> sure, sure. in yeah, following Jesus.
0: Which leads us to this question today. So how do we do that? What do we do yeah. with that?
3: Okay, I want to throw something out. So... One, I love, I love, I mean, youth people say like, oh, young people don't want to talk about faith. They don't want to, and they definitely don't want to evangelize, you know? No, they do. They just want to do it in a genuine way. Um, anyway, so just make sure, <laughs> make sure people know that. Um, I see all the different kind of, you know, working with college ministry and working at church, I get to see all the kind of generations. And one of the things that Keegan and I were talking about with some of our InterVarsity colleagues on Friday was this idea of, like, um, generations having different spiritual questions. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the, there's, like, historians that talk about generational theory that, like, there's different generations that are asked, that are kind of um, compelled by something, each generation. So there's, and it's a cycle of, like, four years. Like, it's the prophets, it's the nomads, it's the heroes, and it's the artists. So, Boomers are asking a spiritual question. Their spiritual question would be, what is true? What is true? And then the uh, um, Gen X, we're all, we're all represented at this table. Then Gen X is asking the question, what is real?
2: I'm a young boomer.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a Gen Z. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> so it, then Gen X is asking, what is real? So what is true? What is real? Millennials, that's me, asking, what is good and gen z asking the question what is beautiful can you see how vastly different those kind of spiritual questions are versus and i was talking to matthew about this on the way here and he i told him the gen z question i was like i love that question like what is beautiful that's a deep question and he goes that's a shallow question <laughs> and i was like excuse me please explain yourself and he was like what is beautiful Beauty is surface. Beauty is shallow. Hey, spoken
0: and like a true Gen X. Totally. I just have to and say. And that's what I said. I'm like... Spoken. As you said that question, I had the same thought, man. Totally. He is so Gen X, even a little boomer.
3: Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so then it was funny because we were having the debate even in the car, and he's like, that is so shallow. Like, And I don't think it is. I actually think it's a, a deep question, and they're actually all asking a very similar question just in different ways.
0: Well, and you and I were talking yes. this morning. You and I were having kind of yeah, this discussion. Yes. And uh, I just made the comment like with Gen Z, what's beautiful can be a shallow question, and it seems to us Gen Xers it is because of what we've made the question mm-hmm. with social media. Yeah. It makes it very shallow. Let me look good. Let me put the right filter yeah, on yeah, it. Filter let me you know. Let me pronounce yes. it to the world yes. instead of just letting it be beautiful in authenticity. Yes. I think we've changed the definition of beauty to, yeah. to something. And it's else.
3: interesting because you know even you're talking about black and white. I mean. Boomers and Gen X are like, we want just clarity. We want clear lines drawn. We want clear boundaries, you know, and Gen Z is like, oh, what is beautiful? It feels like this kind of intangible, you know, piece. But as I, as I listened to these um, questions, I thought, wow, I mean, Jesus, this is going to sound so cliche, but Jesus really is the answer to all those things. <laughs> what is true? What is good? You know, what is real, real, what is beautiful, Mm -hmm. it's Jesus. And the issue is that we have tried to evangelize and tried to share faith in all these ways that are not Jesus, that are like strategies and um, theologies. We've tried to teach all these different things rather than just leading people to Jesus himself. And I don't think that's intentional. It's just that, again, we have a, there's a formula and there's a, you know, Uh, Here's how we do it, and here's how we seal the deal, or whatever. And following Jesus is a long road. Like you said, I'm like, the disciples? I remember one time looking through and trying to figure out, like, when each disciple became a Christian, you know? Because I grew up like you say a prayer, you have a moment, you have a conversion moment, you know? Um, I've had multiple moments. Yeah, me too. I went to the altar a lot of times, (laughs) got saved a lot. But, yeah. but when did the disciples like really believe and commit themselves to following jesus i mean we don't know so it isn't it's but but jesus is this like compelling thing he's true he's real he's beautiful and follow. and and let me say one more thing and then i'm done when we actually follow Jesus, I think when we, and that's what I, I was telling you, I'm like, okay, I finally started, I've been watching Chosen because everybody's been telling me to watch it <laughs> and I've cried at every episode and I'm like, it reminds me of when I first fell in love with Jesus and reading all the gospels and I was like, Jesus is not what I thought he was, you know, when we follow Jesus, when we actually just follow him and and Reorient our lives around what does it look like to be like Jesus and we are counterculture and all those things? It's beautiful <laughs> and People are would be compelled by that and then they want to Know who is it that you? You know follow yeah, your I, life after
2: I think that's the starting point they, they want to know and What they want to know we need to listen to yeah yeah. In other words the starting point isn't what you should think it's what is the question you're asking that I will listen to. It's, it's responding from a whole different place that I'm the aggressor in the dialogue to bring you to a conclusion rather than I'm here to serve you and listen to what's on your heart and respond out of service to you
0: with that question. And that, that is a powerful statement that I think we need to just sit with for a moment because that, that shifts everything. And I think it it creates the nuance because instead of going in with all power and force, it forces us to elevate the person over the program or the decision or everything else. It forces us to sit and really that's what Jesus did. You know, I mean, he didn't just come in guns blazing. He, He was a question asker and 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 people came to him with questions and that's what he typically responded with. And so thinking about that, I would just think for a moment, how would that look in your life? So if you flip this I, you said the word evangelism, which I this is going to sound terrible as a pastor. I kind of go, "Oh, that word, you know, because it has such meaning behind it and such emotion behind it and i'm thinking it's like it's yeah the baggage that carries with it but it's like if we change that evangelistic mentality that says the person is first you know what questions do you have and really that's the whole point of this series it says what are the real questions not for us to go in and say well let me tell you the question you should be asking it's actually listening and sitting what else do we do in order to have these conversations
2: well you have to have relationship. Number one, mm-hmm. I had an experience when I was, uh <coughs> some years ago I had a job at Drake University in the custodial department. This is after I had stopped being a pastor f- for a season. And uh, I was on a crew that had two Muslims and a same-sex attraction individual who was also my crew leader, and we took breaks in a little dinky janitor's room, no kidding, it was, many of you have clothes closets bigger than this, and we would sit there at lunchtime, almost touching our knees, sitting across from each other, and just talk. And I, I was in that job for a year, and over time, I saw what happened. I wasn't in there to preach to them. I wasn't, I, I wasn't doing that. I'd already shifted my thinking on how, how to go about this. I just listened to them, and I asked them questions. And I asked them how they felt. The Bosnians were refugees. They had a horrible experience in the Balkan War. And uh, they opened and told their story, and I listened. And up my, my crew leader. (laughs) Rough, kind of a rough gal, but she was so genuine and so sincere, and I just fell in love with her. And, uh, and finally when my time was up there at Drake, um, I, I was gonna have to leave the room early to go do some paperwork to, to leave campus that day. And they blocked the door, and they said, you can't leave here without giving us a hug. Mm -hmm. And that told me that they saw something in me, that over time, I didn't judge them, I didn't condemn them. I'm not putting myself up here as an example. Please don't miss my point. My point is, is that the door of communication and connection at a heart level was developed by listening and by showing care for them and their circumstances. I didn't come at them with harsh messages and quoting the Bible. I did quote the Bible some, but... um,
0: (laughs) There's a difference in how you can quote the Bible, right? (laughs) That's right.
2: And they appreciated it. And I realized it's not my job to get people saved. I can't save anybody. It's my job to show the love of Jesus. It's my job to listen to their questions. Yeah, absolutely.
3: <clears throat> okay, I think that's so compelling. I'm like, yes, this is what we should all be doing, sitting with our knees touching with our coworkers and having <laughs> conversation, real-life conversations. I mean, some of you are like, no, I'm not a toucher, but they wanted a hug. But I, even with Matthew, um, he has... Ben just experiencing this situation right now that's so crazy so um he had a a boss at his um, current job who got into some trouble in their job like big time trouble fired from that job and it was very devastating for him and so he even tried to end his life i mean it was just so this his this is Matthew's boss and he's experienced all of this pain and he's done some really terrible things and Matthew my response was well good he needs to be out of that field like he's trouble blah 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 and Matthew was like no that's not him something's not right you know and so we prayed for him a lot and because Matthew is who he is like you he just loves people he listens and he had told his boss about Jesus not not being like let me present the Romans road to you but like that is a key part of who I am. Like I am, you know, I have a relationship with God. And so he knew that Matthew was a Christian and Matthew reached out to him and was just like, Hey brother, you're awesome. I, I love you. If you want to talk, I'm here. I mean, who does that? <clears throat> and he meets with Matthew and he tells him everything that's happened. And he says, Matthew, you're like the only Christian that I know who I could talk to. Can you tell me about why you believe what you believe and like what it is that you have because I believe God saved my life, but I don't know anything about God. I don't, I just know that I need to investigate and would you teach me? Like, and so they've been meeting like every couple weeks they meet and they look at scripture and they talk and they just share life. And he is like considering Jesus, like, Oh Jesus, I didn't really know anything about him. And I had all these assumptions about him. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that is like, and there's, there's all these, I mean, it's, it's, it's convicting to me, because I'm like, oh, hi, I'm in ministry, and Matthew's the one that has all these <laughs> conversations, but I think it is, it can really be that simple. Yeah,
0: well, I think it is that simple. I think our sales pitch has uh, really clogged up <laughs> the system here in a way that, you know, it's just about being, being available. Right. You know, yeah. it is, it's that about being available right. and being real, and I think about in those conversations, if we go into those conversations with this is the outcome that has to happen we create a sense of stress and pressure on ourselves that then doesn't allow us to be as authentic but again this isn't saying we don't care about salvation we don't want them to come to know jesus it just means that maybe we take ourselves out of the driver's seat to be the responsible person for that we get on our knees a little bit earlier a little bit more often to say God, I've got to have you driving these conversations, Holy Spirit. You've got to be the one, because ultimately, if it's us and our compelling arguments that win them, we'll find that these things are very fleeting. And uh, you know, and even what does what does Paul say? He says, you know, I came to you, you know, not with eloquent words or flowery language. He said, I came knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was it that's the simple message that we have to we have to present were you going to say something sorry yeah
1: i was just going to add i love those stories um and it focuses a lot on how we enter into a situation and i think there's just so much more freedom jesus Mm -hmm. has for us if we just go and want to make genuine connections i think gen z gets this credit a lot but i think it's true across the board people are pretty good at sensing when someone is inauthentic or having an agenda. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a conversation just waiting to like interject something, people mm-hmm. will walk away mm-hmm. from that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But also that's just exhausting as you <laughs> yeah. as the person trying to represent Jesus, like, and you're missing yeah. the person's story yeah. actually. Yeah. And as I'm hearing these stories, it makes me sad too to think about friends I had in college who we were just on fire. Like anything, the Jesus freaks really was the label we got. And some of my friends aren't even following Jesus oh, anymore. Yeah. Like that was not a sustainable yeah. way to practice their faith. Yeah. And so I love this idea of something that is more sustainable, more beautiful. That's the Gen Z yeah. in me coming out. Okay. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> there's a better way, essentially.
0: I love it. What As we're talking, my mind goes to, we talked about this Monday, was like the Acts 17 story of Paul in Athens. Um, and what did he do? You know, Paul had a, had a way that he would go into a city and he'd go to the synagogues and he would preach in the synagogues and start with the Jews, but then he would always come out and, and begin to deal with the Gentiles. And just this beautiful example of what he did in Athens where he looks and he sees, you know, these, the, these uh, Greeks had so many gods. They had idols and, and statues and everything to every possible God you could imagine. And then over here is the statue to the unknown God. And you just, it's this beautiful picture of Paul taking the moment to see who they were, to understand where they were spiritually, where they were just in life, and to go in. And then in Acts 17, he just, he says, hey, you have this unknown God. Let me tell you about that God, because that's the God who made everything. And he used even, what did he say before that? He's like, I can see that you are spiritual. You know, something I don't think a lot of Christians today would say to somebody else because it's like there's one way to be spiritual. No, people are seeking, people are hungry, people desire. And when we take the time to build that relationship, to ask the questions and genuinely listen, it opens the door for those relationships to happen and and for us to kind of go, oh, we're more common than we're not. I mean, and I think that's the big challenge is because when we... There's this mindset among American evangelicalism that it's us versus them. And so instead of us focusing on what unites us and brings us together and finding that common ground, often we do just the opposite. We go, "Let me tell you where you're wrong. Let me tell you what's wrong with you." And and that is so the wrong foot to get off on with anybody. So yeah.
2: you know, Jesus said, "Seek and you will find." Every one of us are seekers, and every one of us look for ways to define and hooks to hang on our belief system, hang our belief system on. I have found that we we have a friend that, uh, by traditional Christian definitions, is about as far out in left field as you can get. deep into the new age and other philosophies, and I won't go into all the detail, but life kind of threw us together, and we began to develop a friendship and a a real bond. And I have to tell you, we just dearly love her. (laughs) She is such a special lady. Now, she'll chide me a little bit about She reads my blog post that I put (laughs) up and she says, it's a little too Jesus-y, she says. (laughs) But... (laughs) (laughs) But, she says, she'll tell me this. And I'll say, well, I believe that too. Mm. And she'll tell me that. And I say, well, Mm -hmm. we're using different language, but aren't we really saying the same thing? And we have discovered, mutually, in this ongoing friendship, that there's a lot of things that we share in the mysteries of faith that we may not use the same words to define them. But it's a heart issue. Mm -hmm. And her heart is seeking after God. And the scripture says that if those that if you seek, you'll find. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit works with that. And it it was a real eye-opener for me as I saw this happening in our relationship. This has been going on for several years now. That that if we learn how to affirm what God is doing in the heart of people, rather than try to force them to use different language uh, to, to bring it under my narrow definitions, but to say, I see what God's doing here. I see that. I agree with that. I affirm that. If we begin to open people that way, as Jesus did. Mm -hmm. You know, he came upon the Syrophoenician woman, and he said, you've got great faith. You've got more faith than these guys, (laughs) he said. He affirmed what he saw in her. And if we can do the same thing, it'll open the door to deep and rich conversations. And guess who's going to get the credit in the end? The glory. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Absolutely. They're going to find him.
0: You know, we began this series looking at first Peter three fifteen. That was kind of the key verse for this pat for this series, because that's where Peter, as he's talking, he mismakes this statement. He says, In your heart, revere Christ as Lord. He says, but always be prepared to give an answer or a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I think as I think about that, as we bring this series to an end, I think that is still such a powerful passage. Because of the way Paul frames or Peter frames that, give an answer for the hope. What is your hope? What is our hope? What is it that is drawing us, that is compelling us? I mean, we're all here. Nobody wakes up on a Sunday morning and and comes to a building at nine o'clock to sing songs out in the open and sit and listen to four people ramble on without there being something motivating you, something compelling you. And I think that hopefully has been the reminder in this entire series is that. We don't have, you said it earlier, we don't have to be the ones that are defending Jesus all the time. We don't have to be the one pointing the fingers. We don't have to be the one wielding the sword to get everything right. We just need to be people of hope, people who live and demonstrate and model that hope, not living in judgmentalism, but looking at people and seeing in them first and foremost the image of God not seeing their politics, not seeing their lifestyle, not seeing anything else, but seeing first and foremost the image of God in them. And I think that is so critical. And then that leads us to the opportunity to be able to have some really deep and meaningful conversations. You know, I, I don't, I, I, before I wrap up, anybody else want to I just
3: I just want to say that feels so important. I don't know if any of you feel this way, but I'm like, I'm going to cry. I'm going to try not to cry. I can feel really hopeless when I think about all the ways the church has wronged folks. When I think of the pain, um, when I think of even the declining, that makes me sad that church continues to decline and and pr- praise God because I think it creates a new window of opportunity to say, no, what does it really mean to follow Jesus, um, and and how do we do that, but I think it's easy for me to live in that place of, like, discouragement or even hiding, and this is me, I'm a, I am a pastor, okay, and it's, and I'm an outgoing human, I love to talk to people, you know this, and yes, an extrovert. And so I love to have conversations, but I have found myself over years, especially, you know, the last few years being like, oh, I have to be so careful about what I say and how I share about Jesus and how I even, how I even identify myself. I was at a, um, a event and um, with people from the community and this woman asked me what I did. And like, Seriously, there have been times where I'm like, I just um, work with college students or like I work with people, you know, (laughs) because it's like, it's so messy and I'm scared of what people will think and not because they've been hurt or they don't, you know what I mean? Um, And I won't have answers for their questions, but I said, like, I'm learning to be more just genuinely, I follow Jesus, so why not? So I said, I'm a pastor. And she was like, Oh, which this is a common <laughs> response. And she kind of says a few things, and then she leaves, of course, <laughs> happens. And then, Gosh. actually, after the event, she came back, and she was like, tell me more about that. Like, mm-hmm. so you're a pastor. She's like, you are not what I imagine as a pastor. You know, and why are you here? And I also think I had a glass of wine in my hand. Anyway, she's asking me all these questions, and we had a great conversation. And it made me realize, again, like, pe- no, I we just... We need to, I need to remember that Jesus is my hope, that I need to fall in love with Jesus again, and from new perspectives, which that's how I felt last week after all these folks are up here telling their stories, I'm like, oh, I want to know Jesus in the way you know him, you know, and I need your stories, and um, and even this morning as we worship, I feel this rise up in me, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I love you, and I want to um, throw all my chips on Jesus and follow him and learn, mm-hmm. and, then, and then share that yeah. and not be afraid, not be ashamed, not be defensive. Yeah. You know.
0: I think one of the questions that came out of Monday's meeting was, is what we are sharing actually the gospel? Is it actually the good news? And is it possible that we need a better gospel or maybe even the true gospel? We've added so much baggage to it, maybe it's time we, we, we take that off. And Steve, you made a comment Monday that I wrote down, and it's on the screen. It'll be on the screen. It just is this. We want to help people get reacquainted with the authentic Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the goal here. That's the goal, to help people get reacquainted with the authentic Jesus. And I think that, that expression, authentic Jesus, is so important and critical because what is the Jesus? Who is the Jesus that we see? Is it the one that we see modeled for us in the New Testament or is it a Jesus that we've created in our own image? And this is where I think the importance of community is vital, you know, because I think when we're off isolated and alone, we can get a very skewed Jesus. But sitting down in community and talking about Jesus is very helpful. And then we allow the, trans- the, the, the authentic Jesus to do what he does to transform us. Because that's what Jesus does. Encountering the authentic authentic Jesus always requires a reorientation and will result in transformation. And it's just that evaluation of what lenses, we talked about this last week, what lenses are we looking at Jesus through? So what we want to do to to wrap up, thank you guys for being up here and sharing with me. Uh, We want to just close with a congregational response. Tim, you want to go ahead and come up. Worship team, if you want to go ahead and come back to the stage. On the screen, there's going to be a congregational response. And I want you, let's stand together and uh, let's just make this our prayer this morning. So, Sean, you want to go ahead and put that up? There we go. And let this just be our prayer as we wrap this up. Pray this with me Lord, give us the heart of Christ for a world that is seeking and searching for fulfillment, answers, and life. Give us compassion in place of cynicism, mercy in place of judgment, and love in place of apathy. Give us the courage to repent for the times we have been judgmental, harsh, and defensive of our religiosity and cultural Christianity. And renew our desire to be followers of Christ, wholehearted, authentic, and true. Amen.